Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Lake Point family, and uh, hey, if you got your Bibles, head over to Isaiah 52. That's where we're going to be today, Isaiah 52, and um, while you're turning there, just want to, uh, if you're new with us, go ahead and welcome you, and um, if you're new with us, my name is Josh, I'm one of the senior pastors of our church, and uh, we are seriously, we're incredibly honored that you are here, and uh, let me just say, I I don't think you could have picked a better time to be here. Um, Christmas at Lake Point, uh, it's just kind of magical, we kind of go all out, we want it to be a season that feels a little magical. Um, because of what God did for us at the first Christmas in the coming of Jesus. And so, um, welcome. You're also here, I think, on a good week. This is the last week of a series that we've just been calling Carols. Now, let me, a really quick, quick disclaimer. What I am not doing during this series, we are not preaching jingle bells. That's not what we're doing in this series. Uh, what we are doing is, a lot of times, Christmas songs, they're the songs that we have sung the most but understand the least, And so a lot of times what happens is there's these songs that we've been singing 20, 30, 40 years, and we've been singing about the story of Jesus without ever really like internalizing the incredible things that we're singing. And so each week of the series we're doing is we're taking one of those carols, looking at the meaning behind it, and then specifically uh, getting into the passage of the Bible that inspired that carol. Now, um, I'm gonna uh, create, I'm gonna do something historic for you this morning. Uh, You're you're never gonna forget, it's gonna be amazing. Uh, There are two things that coalesced into the moment that you are about to experience. Okay, number one, the first week of this series, our worship teams didn't sing the carol that I preached that week, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and some of you lost your minds that that didn't happen, okay? So, so we thought, okay, let's not let that happen again. And then number two, ever since I've gotten here, what everybody's been saying to me is, man, Josh, you know, Pastor Steve was willing to do whatever it took to make a point. He'd rappel from the ceiling. He'd go over to Iraq and record over there, you know, whatever it is. And then uh, especially during the Christmas season, I, I've heard this over and over again. You know, Josh, Pastor Steve, he did the Joseph monologues. When are you gonna, you know, whatever, you, when are you gonna do your thing? If I had a quarter for every time I heard that, we wouldn't have to do an uh, annual missions offering. We'd be just fine. And so, uh, and so it's why I've been hearing is, you know, Josh, Steve did the Joseph monologues. monologues why, why don't you uh, sing one of the carols uh, that you're preaching? So here goes. Okay, here we go. You guys re- y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? All right. Hit it, Bob. Here we go. It's still early, all right? Here we go, let's try that again. Hit it, Bob, one more time.
You're welcome. And uh, let me just say, in the first two services, there were people who thought that was actually me. And uh, let me just say, uh, if that was you, we have counseling available at all of our campuses, and that'd be great. Well, the carol that we're doing today is uh, obviously Go Tell It on the Mountain. And this carol, it's got a really rich, unique history. Um, this carol was actually originally an African-American spiritual sung by slaves hundreds of years ago. And the story behind where these amazing, these rich songs came from is because they didn't have access to education to learn how to read, um, a lot of them, what they had to do because their children couldn't read their Bibles is they put these incredible truths of the Bible into songs so that they could pass them down through the generations of their descendants. And one of those uh, spirituals that they sung was called Go Tell It on the Mountain. And nobody knows who wrote it. It was probably written on a plantation somewhere hundreds of years ago. And it was passed down through the ages, generation after generation after generation, until now, still today, we gather and we sing every Christmas. Here's what we sing. We sing, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain, that our Jesus Christ is born. He made me a watchman upon a city wall, and if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain, our Jesus Christ is born. Now, listen, what's awesome about this song is it's based on two passages of scripture, one that you're probably pretty familiar with and one that you're probably not familiar with. One, it's based on the Luke 2 account of the original shepherds receiving the news from the angels that the Christ was being born, that God was coming to earth in human flesh and them receiving that news. But number two, it's based on a passage you may be totally unaware of, it's also based on Isaiah 52, verse seven, uh, and it's a passage that says this. It just says, how beautiful upon the mountains, that's where you get, go tell on the mountain, are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings, there it is again, good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns, okay? Now, there is a lot here. Here's what I wanna do in this message. I wanna do two things. I want you to see to whom that message comes, and then I want you to see how the message goes, okay? So to whom it comes, how it goes. I'll do the first one pretty quick, so track with me. All right, number one, to whom it comes. So it's actually really interesting that the message originally was announced to a group of shepherds watching their flock by night. Now, I know for us that doesn't sound weird. Here's why that doesn't sound weird. Because when we think of shepherds today, we think of something totally different than they would have thought of in the first century. Uh, if you're like me, you've got like a nativity at your house and you grab one of the little shepherd figurines. And when you hear the word shepherd, you think, you know, like glistening white dude in a robe, looks like he's got product in his hair, skin looks great, smiling all over the place, very clean. Uh, guys, what you need to understand is that shepherds were basically homeless people. Um, it was the ultimate unskilled labor. If you couldn't do anything else, you were a shepherd. If you couldn't do anything else. There's a reason we say shepherd boy. 
We say that because it was just a starter job. All you had to be able to do was just stand out in a field with animals. That was the whole job. So these guys, they were not like high profile, good, clean dudes. These were guys who were incapable of seemingly doing anything else. If you were a parent at a party and somebody asked you like, hey man, what's your son do? And he was in his 20s, 30s, 40s, and you said shepherd, well, what they would immediately say is, oh, what happened? Oh, I'm so sorry. And think about it, these were guys who slept out in the fields with animals seven days a week, the type of people that you could smell coming before you would see coming, just the, these types of guys. So of ill repute were shepherds that their testimony was not even admissible in court. Just in general, bad, lowly dudes. Now this is really interesting. Why did God choose of everybody on earth for shepherds to be the people that he came and brought the news to of the coming of the Christ? He could have come to kings, military leaders, wealthy people, famous people, great orators, powerful people, all these people. But he chose a group of shepherds to come and announce this news to. Why? Well, it's really interesting. There's a theme in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that what happens everywhere in the Bible is God always comes and always chooses people who are on the wrong side of the world's dividing lines? This is really interesting. Think about this. In our world, here's who matters in our world, the world says rich people, pretty people, and powerful people, those who matter. Rich people, pretty people, powerful people, those are the people that matter. Have you ever noticed that all throughout the scripture, God intentionally seems to choose people on the other side of those lines? Uh, I'll give you an example. So let's talk about power, okay? Uh, in the Old Testament, there was a practice that we now call primogeniture. Uh, that's where a family, if a, a, a dad had multiple sons or multiple children, the lion's share of the family estate was always gifted to the oldest son upon the death of the father. So that meant he got everything, got the family name, got the family prestige. So the trans, watch this, the transfer of power always went to the oldest son. But whenever there was a time where there was two sons and God had to choose which son he was going to choose to give the inheritance of the lineage that would lead to Jesus, Jacob and Esau, remember, he chooses the younger son, Jacob, over the older son, Esau. Chooses the one on the wrong side of the power dividing line. Uh, let me give you another one. What about pretty people? Do you guys remember uh, there was a time in the Old Testament where uh, a guy named Laban had two daughters? And again, God's choosing. Where is my lineage gonna go that leads to Jesus? And two sisters, they were named Rachel and Leah, Leah and Rachel. Do you remember what the Bible says about Rachel? It says that she was beautiful in form and appearance. Do you remember what the Bible said about Leah? It said she had weak eyes. That's Hebrew for she had a great personality. That's what that means, okay? <laughs> and listen, who, who did God choose when he was choosing where the lineage would go that would lead to Jesus? He chooses Leah, the one on the wrong side of the beauty dividing line. Let me do one more. What about the wealth dividing line? Uh, remember, the, what we believe as Christians is that the savior of the world, the one who will rule the world in truth and grace and make the nations prove the wonders of his righteousness, we believe that that was Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I know for us, we hear that, we, we, we say that, we don't think that means very much. That means a lot. Jesus of Nazareth, there's actually a Bible verse that says, could anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was like an out-of-the-way, impoverished, hick town nobody ever wanted to go to. It would be the modern day equivalent of me coming to you and saying, hey, did you hear? Savior of the world's been born. A guy who's gonna lead the entire world, the most intelligent person with spiritual power, God himself come in human flesh. He's gonna lead everything. And you ask me, hey, what's his name? I say, Jesus. 
You say, Where, where's he from? I say, Mule Shoe, Texas. That's where he's born. He's from there. And he's just born out of place of wealth, away uh, from riches. You may have never noticed this before in your Bible. Whenever Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, they present him uh, to make their sacrifice at the temple for their firstborn son, the Old Testament said that the normal sacrifice for your firstborn was an ox, a donkey, a goat, you know, or a sheep. So it's so, uh, uh, you know, an expensive animal. Have you ever noticed the Bible specifically says that Jesus' parents offered the offering that the Old Testament says was for impoverished people? Two pigeons. Jesus' family was on the wrong side of the wealth dividing line. So think about this. So he comes to shepherds. He chooses people who are on the wrong side of the rich people, pretty people, powerful dividing lines. Why does he do this? Now listen, what I'm getting ready to say is so important that I'm gonna say it about five different ways because it is, listen to me, it is impossible for you to be saved and become a Christian if you don't understand what I'm about to say. The reason that God did this is because salvation is something that cannot be achieved it must be received. That is the only way. And so he comes to people who haven't achieved anything, but they're people who know how to receive something. Guys, I need you to understand this, and I say this with great earnestness in my heart. Goodness and human ability are of absolutely no value in getting you into heaven. Dependence on somebody else's goodness and ability in the person of Jesus, that's what gets you into heaven. And what I'd say is this, Weakness is an advantage if dependence is the goal. And so God comes to people who are weak and they know I'm never gonna be able to measure up, I'm never gonna be able to achieve, and so my only hope in life and death is to receive something as a free gift from my heavenly Father. Jesus made this extremely clear one time where he was talking to, uh, to a group of people and what he said, do you remember? He said, I came not for the righteous. I did not come for the righteous, I came for sinners. Now, that gets misunderstood. When he said that, he was talking about how you self-identify. He was saying, I did not come. People who self-identify as righteousness, they're never gonna get me. I came for people who self-identify as sinners. They're the only people who can get me. So let me say this to you in a very straightforward way. Jesus was saying what qualifies you for heaven is admitting that you are unqualified for heaven. There is a great paradox that will play itself out throughout all of human history or all of eternity that we will see. Here's the paradox. The Bible teaches that hell will be full of people who insist that they were good enough for heaven and heaven will be full of people who insist that they were bad enough for hell. That is the only way for you to understand what this means. Now, let me put it to you this other way. If you're here, maybe you're not a Christian like you're kind of kicking the tires on what it means to become a Christian, let me clear up a, a common misconception. A lot of people think becoming a Christian means this. It means that you go, okay, I'm gonna become a Christian now. So what that means is I'm gonna work really, really, really hard to be a really good and moral person. So I'll contribute my morality. God will kick in some of his grace when I fail and voila, salvation. Guys, can I make something really clear to you? the only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That's the only thing that we contribute to our salvation. Everything else cannot be achieved. Salvation cannot be achieved. It's something that simply has to be received as a free gift. Uh, let me do this one other way. Do you guys remember there was a time where Jesus was talking to a group of Pharisees? Now here's what I know, okay? In our culture, when we hear the word Pharisee, we think bad guy. 
in Jesus' culture, when they heard the word Pharisee, they would think upright, moral, upstanding citizen who was very philanthropic. That's what they would have thought when they heard Pharisee. And Jesus said this to a group of Pharisees. He said, prostitutes and tax collectors enter the kingdom of God instead of you. Now, why in the world did Jesus say that, okay? Well, think about this. Prostitutes and tax collectors in their world, those were the most morally reprehensible groups of people in the entire culture. So let me apply this to you really quick. Let me ask you this question. Who in your mind are the most morally reprehensible group of people in the entire world? Actually answer that question in your head. The most morally reprehensible people in the entire world. Is it human traffickers? Is it slave owners? Is it child abusers? Is it New England Patriots fans? Who are the people that are the, who are the people that are the most morally, I actually want you to answer this question in your head. Get it, fix it in your head. Who are the most morally reprehensible group of people in the entire world, okay? Now, once you have them in your head, I need you to hear this from me, listen. Jesus was not simply saying that God saves those people. He was saying that you have to count yourself in the same moral category as those people for him to save you. That was what he was saying. Why does he say that? Because you have to understand that salvation cannot be achieved in any way. It can only be received. In the words of the old hymn that I grew up singing, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. The only people who will ever be saved by God are people who come to God with empty hands and say, God, I will never be able to do enough good. I will never measure up to your standard of righteousness. So my hands are empty. My only hope is to receive salvation from you as a free gift of grace. There is no other way. And so what you have to understand is that because of that, because that's the nature of salvation, shepherds and slaves are the people most likely to understand this because when you're flat on your back, you're usually looking in the right direction. That's why this message comes to shepherds. That's to whom it comes. Now here's a big question. How does it go, <laughs> okay? That's to whom it comes, how does it go? You guys may have noticed, in both the carol and the passage, there's this talk about go tell it on the mountain. Why mountain? And why does Isaiah say how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, okay? Now let me explain something really quick. This is really interesting. So why the mountain imagery? Well, in, ancient, in the ancient Middle East, here's how it worked. Uh, they built their cities in between mountains in valleys. So what they would do is these cities in, in between these mountains to protect themselves from oncoming armies, whenever there was an, a, a, a war that their city was engaged in, they would send their army from their city away from the city over the mountains into battle and they would hang back and just breathlessly wait for news of whether their army was victorious or defeated in the battle. And whatever news they got, that meant everything for them. Watch this. Because their fate depended on somebody else's performance. Does that sound familiar to you, Christian? Their fate depended on somebody else's performance. And so what they would do is they would wait, and they would just wait breathlessly for news coming back over the mountains of either victory or defeat. If news came back of victory, it, the entire place erupted in joy because that meant prosperity, freedom, fortune for them as a city. But if bad news came back that the other army had been defeated, that, that their army had been defeated, uh, that was terrible news. Because that meant they would probably be enslaved, they'd be pillaged, some of their wives would be taken away, that kind of thing. Terrible news. So watch this. What they would do is whenever the, uh, the army had either won or lost the battle, 
they would send a marathon runner to book it back to the city to bring news, either good or bad, and the city would place, we read this in the carol, they would place a watchman on the wall who would watch day and night and just scan the horizon waiting to see that marathon runner crest the top of the hill. Now watch this. What's the deal with the feet? Why does it say how beautiful the feet? Feet are gross. I don't wanna see your feet. You don't wanna see my feet. Feet are gross. Why how beautiful the feet? Well, here's why. Those watchmen were trained to watch the feet of the marathon runner that came back over the top of the hill and they could tell by the feet how the person was running whether the news was good or bad. If they were doing like the survival shuffle, they knew that meant bad news. But if they were running knees high, kicking up dust behind them, they knew good news, victory. You know, we're free, we're safe. So that's where we get this image of how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. Now, let me ask you this question. Why in the world, why does it say both here and in Romans chapter 10, that we should be willing to scale mountains to get this news to people. Why are Christians supposed to be people who would be willing to scale mountains to get this news to people? Well, here's why, for two reasons. Number one, guys, because this is not a game and heaven and hell are real. Let me just say that one more time, because this is not a game and heaven and hell are real. So we gotta be willing to do whatever it takes to get this news over the hills and everywhere. But watch this, number two, we gotta be willing to do whatever is on God's heart. Uh, you guys know, how, let me explain how this works really quick. Uh, I need help at all of our campuses. If you are a dog owner and you own a dog, would you raise your hand really high for me really quick? Raise your hand, raise them up high, loud and proud. There you go, okay, look around, here you go. Now, if you own a cat, would you raise your hand really quick, real, real high, real high? You're all dismissed. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Just, just kidding, just, I'm totally kidding. Actually, there's really, there's other great churches in the area for people just like you. No, it's teasing, it's teasing. Totally joking, I love all of you. Uh, let, me, let me explain this, okay? Uh, let me explain this, okay? Uh, dog, here's the deal with dogs. Here's how the joke goes. Here's the deal with dogs. Dogs say, you love me, you feed me, you take care of me, you must be God. Cats say, you love me, you feed me, you take care of me, I must be God. <laughs> I like, that's what cats say. Now watch this, okay? Ch check this out. Down with cat Christianity. Down with cat Christianity. Now here's what I mean by that. There are some Christians who think that God exists to do what's in their heart. That God's purpose is to come into my life and help me accomplish what I'm passionate about. But then there's other people who understand that the entire reason God saved us was for us to accomplish what's in his heart. He's God. And that whatever is in his heart, that's the thing that ought to capture and compel us and drive every aspect of our life. What's on the Father's heart? Now let me ask you this question. What does the Bible say is most on the Father's heart? Man, there was one time where Jesus told a story that told us exactly what is most on the Father's heart. Now, this is a story that most scholars say, a lot of scholars now say is the greatest story ever told. Uh, this is a story that many of you have heard hundreds or even thousands of times, but I heard it in a fresh way about three years ago, and it, like, it really changed my life. So I want you to just, even if you heard the story before, I want you to hear it in a fresh way. And here's how the story goes. There was once a sheep rancher who was very wealthy and he lived on the west side of Jerusalem. And the sheep rancher just happened to have two sons. And the younger son, uh, the older son was very responsible, very upright, always did the right thing. But the younger son was like the headstrong, kind of disobedient one. And as they grew older, 
the younger son, he came to his dad and he, he finally just said, Dad, uh, Dad, I hate being a sheep rancher. In fact, Dad, like the way that you live your life, like it super cramps my style. And so, Dad, can we go ahead and act now as if you were already dead? And can I get your inheritance now? And reluctantly, this loving father thought and he pondered and he pondered and he thought, you know, I'm gonna grant my son's request. And as sad as it made him, he gave his son all of his inheritance then. And the son walked away, and I think when he walked away from that ranch, he walked away, head held high, not looking back, not apologizing, not waving to anybody. He just shook the dust off his feet and said, glad to be out of this house, I've hated every second. And as the story goes, he wandered into a big city. Now we all know this, that big cities, they offer a lot of economic opportunities. But that son didn't go into the city and spend his money on stuff. He went into the city and he spent his money on experiences. Some of those experiences had to do with women who worked in the streets late at night. In fact, what he spent his money on, he intentionally spent his money on all the experiences that his loving father had spent his entire life warning him never to have anything to do with. And he did that for years and years. And one day he woke up and the unthinkable happened. Because that younger son had never taken a Dave Ramsey class before, he woke up one day and he ran out of money. And he thought, man, what am I gonna do? And because he didn't have any education, the only job that he could get is he found a job feeding pigs in a pig pen, pig slop all day. And as he did that day after day after day, because he didn't have any money, he would make a minimum wage, he couldn't feed himself any longer. And so one day he came to his senses and he had a realization that changed his life forever. And he realized in that moment, he realized what he thought to himself was, man, my worst day with my dad was better than my best day without my dad. And he came to his senses that day. And he began to think about what it would be like to go home, but he was too embarrassed. And he knew that he'd done something that was so egregious and so offensive to his dad that if he tried to go home, they actually might put him to death. And so he stayed and he stayed and he stayed. But one day, it was too much. And he thought, you know what? My dad is a very kind and a very benevolent business owner. And maybe if I come home, I know I'll never be able to be his son again, but maybe if I come home, he'll pay me minimum wage to be in his, uh, work in his business. And so the son started in his mind crafting an I'm sorry speech. And it went something like this. The son started to think, Dad, I know that what I did was so bad I can never be treated as your son again. But you're a good and kind and merciful man. Is there any way that I could work at the lowest level of your business just to be near you? Would you just let me do that? And for days and days and days, the son rehearsed his I'm sorry speech in his head. And then one day, very scared with his knees trembling, he set off on his long journey home. And as he walked and he walked and he walked, the closer he got, his heart started beating in his chest. And his palms got a little sweaty and his mouth got a little dry. Because the closer he got, the more he knew he was close to receiving the anger and punishment of his family. Finally, one day after his long journey, he got to the spot where he had only one more hill to crest before he looked down on the home from which he had walked away. And as he got to the top of the hill and crested the top of the hill, he looked down and mystery of mysteries, the first thing he saw was his dad staring at the sunset right at him. Because unbeknownst to him, every day since he left, when his dad got home from work, he'd walk in the kitchen, pull out a kitchen chair, put it on the front porch, sit down and stare off in the direction that his son had walked away, just hoping that someday he'd see the silhouette of his son against the sunset in the background and then he'd get his boy back. 
And as soon as the dad saw a silhouette in that same direction, he got up and it's like his, his father instinct kicked in and he got up and just breathlessly, he started to run. <laughs> And he started running and running and running and he hurtled over the gate, you know, in his tunic and he just grabbed it up and kept running and running and running. And as he was going, the closer he got, all of a sudden it dawned on him, it's my boy. And his son saw his dad running at him really fast and what the son thought is that his dad was running at him to take revenge on him for what he'd done wrong. And so he started on his I'm sorry speech. From a long way away, he started yelling to his dad, Dad, he was, he was afraid. He said, Dad, I'm so sorry. I know that what I did was so bad. I can never be your son again, but would you please? But the dad got to him before he could finish the speech and his dad wrapped him up in a big bear hug and he lifted him off the ground and he twirled him around and he yelled to some of his servants. He said, go get a ring, get a, get a robe, kill the fatted calf. And all those were signs that he was gonna be the honored guest, that he was gonna be a son again. And he, he welcomed him back into the house. And then at the end of the story, Jesus says that the dad in that story is God. And then Jesus says this, it is fitting that we rejoice because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And Jesus, what he was saying, he was saying, do you wanna know what God thinks about all day, every day. He said, our God is a God who pulls out a kitchen chair from inside and sets it on the porch and looks toward the sunset just waiting for people who don't know him to come home. That's what he thinks about all the time. Now listen, here's what that means. It is, let me say it to you in a very straightforward way. What it means is that it is impossible to be a fully committed follower of Jesus without being driven by people who are far from God. You can't be anything like our heavenly father unless you are a person who is passionate for people who don't know God to come to know God and to come home to him in his salvation. So what that means is that we're called to be people who will do whatever it takes, and I mean whatever it takes, to see people come to know him and experience forgiveness and life in Jesus. Now listen, that is where a lot of us, like we get really hung up. Because we, let's be really honest in this room right now, like we want to help people come to know God. We want that. The issue isn't that we, we don't want to, the issue is that we don't know how to. Can I make this really easy for you here for a second? There's a verse in the New Testament that says that your job, that our job, is to quote, compel people to come to him. Compel. Now you know what you do when you compel somebody is that doesn't mean when you comp you're compelling somebody, that doesn't mean you gotta get them from one to 10 all the way in one step. Compelling somebody is just doing something that may take them from a one to a two, or from a two to a four, or from a four to a six. Your job is not always to get them all the way, one to 10 in faith. It's just to live your life with intentionality in such a way that you're helping people take their steps to come home to God. Now, I've got a, a, a personal rule for when I'm teaching that I will not tell a story where I'm the hero of the story, but I'm gonna break that rule right now, so let me just give you a, a, a little a warning. I'm a wretched, black-hearted sinner that needs grace like everybody else, okay? So I, you know, I just need you to know that before I tell the story. This was brought home to me and Jana in a really powerful way. Um, I'm gonna change the name and a couple small details of this story, and you'll see why as I tell it. Um, I, had a, uh, I had a friend in high school, a girl named, I'm gonna call her Sarah, and Sarah, um, she was physically abused in her church when she was growing up. 
And so it's not just that she like walked away from Christianity as she got older, like she hates, she hated uh, Christians and, and Christianity just hated them and ran as far as she could, as fast as she could. But Jan and I, we just, we've always had like an affinity. We just like Sarah, you know, just something we just like about her. And so um, what happened was a, a few years ago, Sarah made a decision um, that uh, caused her to become pregnant outside of the relationship that she was committed to. And when that happened, uh, everybody in her life started abandoning her and cutting her out of their life. And Jan and I saw that and we thought, man, what an incredible opportunity for us to love somebody that God loves. And so uh, Jan and I, we've got a, um, We've got a little uh, uh, budget line in the Howerton budget. We call it our blessings budget. And that's our budget where we're not allowed to spend money on anybody that knows God already. You people are gonna be just fine. We, we, we spend, that's our money that we will spend something, try, try to once a month spend money to bless somebody that doesn't know God yet. And so we were like, man, well, let's do that. And so the first month, uh, we just bought her, she, Sarah likes to read, and so we bought her an Amazon gift card. We're like, hey, take your mind off of things. Um, the next month, Sarah posted about uh, this type of wine that she really liked, and uh, we had a bottle of that wine shipped her house. That probably makes me a really bad pastor, uh, but you know, you're going through a hard time. Here's some alcohol. Get ready, you know that kind of thing. That's not, we were like, hey, she said she liked it. You know, whatever. <laughs> that kind of thing. And then uh, the next month, uh, we got her. She was going through a uh, juggling a lot of responsibilities, and so we got her a uh, just a, a blank gift card, like a Visa gift card kind of thing. And we said, hey, Sarah, you are so overwhelmed. Will you just go get a babysitter like three times this month and just get some you, just get some you time. And then the next month what we realized was that, um, that the greatest pain in her life was because everybody had abandoned her and she was just really lonely. And she was like all alone in what she was walking through. And so we just say, hey Sarah, could we like FaceTime you and just talk about how life is? And so we did that and we FaceTimed her and we just say, hey, tell us like, how are you really doing? Like what's really hard right now? And we listened and we cried with Sarah. Um, at the end of the conversation, like we just said, we're really open. We're like, hey Sarah, we know that you don't believe in this, but can we pray for you? And without any hesitation, she said, oh, of course. And we prayed the love of God over her life. We prayed hope over that baby. We prayed that God would give that little child just a blessed, incredible life in him and, and that she would come to know him and uh, that the love of God would just rush in and take control of everything that was going on in her life. And, and we finished that and just with tears, we kind of closed and, and uh, it's a great time. Well, um, fast forward, uh, just a, a fast forward just a few months and one day I woke up and on Facebook there was a little alert, a little notification, I had a message. And I, I checked the message and it was from Sarah and here's what this message said. She, she, said, she said, are you sitting down because I don't want you to hurt yourself, my Netflix wouldn't connect so I listened to one of your sermons instead. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, all right, you know, I'm okay being option number two, you know, whatever it takes. And uh, so, you know, that happened. Well, then a couple weeks later, um, she sent me another message and it said this. Now, it's long, but I'm gonna read it. She said, hey, I woke up in the wee hours of the morning with horrible acid reflux. I went to the living room to try to get relief by sleeping in a recliner, but sleep wouldn't come. I logged onto Facebook and went to my atheist group to see if anybody was active or if there were any new posts or things to read. Being Easter, the group was overflowing with memes mocking Jesus and Christianity. After 15 minutes or so of looking through them, I noticed that I was having a very negative reaction to them, and I closed the screen out. I tried to go to sleep, but I still couldn't. I kept wondering why the post made me feel so awkward when I didn't particularly disagree with them. Another hour later, I realized it's because maybe I don't fully agree with them, 
or at least I don't agree with the attitudes toward other beliefs. For five years, that group has been the place where I go to vent about the Christians in my life and get reassurance about my viewpoints. I started to wonder if being included in that group is part of the reason I'm struggling with trying to change my thought process. We've been talking about how becoming a Christian means the renewing of your mind. You gotta think about things different. That's why she said that. And then she said, I logged back onto the group. I clicked the leave button. I'm not even sure why I feel the need to tell you about it, but I thought you would like to know. And she was right. I did want to know. And so uh, we kept talking, kept talking. Well, fast forward, uh, actually fast forward a couple years. And uh, there came a time where Jan and I, we got this text from Sarah like really late at night. And uh, she just said, hey, I'm having thoughts about taking my life and I know that you two will listen to me. Can you talk? And so we were like, of course. And Jan and I hopped on the phone and we just talked to her and just listened about what was going on and everything that was hard for her, that kind of thing, and we just, we spoke the love of God over her life. Hey man, your, your story does not have to end in darkness. Like there is a God who loves you. Like it's, it doesn't have to be this way forever. It's not gonna end in defeat, all that stuff. And we prayed with her, and, and at that night it ended right there. Now listen, do you guys wanna know how Sarah's story ends? Okay, we'll say hi to Sarah. I'm just joking, she's not here with me. <laughs> I'm teasing, she's not here. She's not here. But check this out. Check this out. Sarah's story is not over yet. But there wouldn't be a story if two very ordinary people hadn't been willing to do small, very ordinary things just to compel somebody towards Jesus. And listen, we didn't get from one to 10, but we got from one to two, and then from two to four, and then from four to six. That's all God is asking you to do, is small things that compel people. So can I get like super practical and land the plane right here? That brings me to this week in our church's life. Guys, coming up this week, we've got our Easter services, this, our Christmas services this week. There you go. <laughs> surprise, you know, surprise. We've got our Christmas services this week, and. Study, here's what studies show. Studies show that these services are the services even more than Easter that people are most likely to say yes to if they're invited by somebody that knows them. So let me get really practical. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get really practical, okay? Number one, here's what I'm asking you to do. I am asking you just to be willing to take that step to invite people who don't know God to be with you at services this week. Now here's what I know, track with me, here's what I know. I know anytime you invite somebody, with you who doesn't know God, you wanna know, is the service gonna be good? Is it gonna be, I had somebody do this to me in the lobby just a couple weeks ago. She, a little girl ran up to me, Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh, I got my friend with me, I've been inviting for years. I said, man, it's amazing. She said, don't screw it up. <laughs> now listen, let me just say, we're not gonna screw it up at our Christmas services. Guys, we're pulling out all the stops to make sure that anybody that's here, no matter what they believe, now we're gonna be clear about the message, but no matter what they believe, that they're gonna enjoy, they're gonna love their time here, and they're gonna leave feeling, uh, feeling loved and impressed about, about what's going on. So here's what I'm asking you to do. In the lobby, at every one of our campuses, we've got these Lake Point Christmas invites right in the lobby in these little stands. I am asking you, as your pastor, to grab some of those on your way out, and just hand, grab them somebody, just say something like this. I did this to my direct TV guy this week. Just grab them, hand them to somebody and say, hey bro, uh, I'm going to the service at this time on this day. You wanna come hang out with my family and then we can eat together afterwards. 
Do you wanna do that? It's gonna be awesome. So I'm asking you to do that. And then number two, I'm asking you, I know this sounds really weird, did you know this? That now nothing ever beats a personal invite. Nothing ever beats that. But did you know the fastest growing way that people are hearing about Lake Point right now is through social media? And so I know this sounds really weird. I'm asking you on our Facebook page, at the top of our Facebook page, at the top of our Instagram page, we've got invite videos pinned. I am asking you just to go share that, to invite the people in your area. It's like a megaphone. And through that, we can get word to hundreds of thousands of people about what's going on. So I'm asking you to do that. Now watch this, number three. I'm asking you, and I know some people are not gonna like this. I'm asking you to attend the campus this closest to your home. Now here's why I say that. Um, here, again, here's what studies show is that when people have to drive more than 15 minutes to get to the place where they're being invited, they won't come. 15 minutes is the marker line. So I'm asking you to stay at your campus that's closest to you to worship for Christmas services. And here's what I'm gonna say. That's gonna be the shortest mission trip you'll ever take. Shortest mission trip you'll ever take is to be in the place where you can have the biggest evangelistic impact. Now here's the last thing, and this is most important, all right? Check, check, track with me is I'm asking you to show up ready to love people. You know, a lot of times, what we think about uh, that is gonna impress uh, people who are outsiders. So we think, oh man, are the lights gonna be good? Is the show gonna be good? Is the speaker gonna be good? Guys, can I just say something to you? I've got a very firm conviction, conviction about this. People would rather be loved than wowed. They would rather be loved than wowed. And so when we walk in, here, listen, a little charge for us. When we walk into Christmas services, we're not showing up as a 13,000-person church. We're showing up as a 13,000-person greeting team. Come on, somebody. That's what we're doing. We're walking in. We've got our eyes open, ready to see. And so if you see somebody who's looking around like they don't know where they are, you're the one that's the greeter in that moment. If you, if you see somebody who, man, this place is packed, they can't find a seat, maybe you're the one that needs to say, hey, man, why don't you sit here? I can stand right back here. But let's be people who are conduits of the love of Christ everybody that comes, all right? Now, I wanna pray for what's gonna happen this coming week, so will you guys pray with me, please? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would use us to go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Father, I pray that you would send us not just from this place to our cities, but to other states, other countries, all over the globe, and that you would use Lake Point Church to lift up the life-giving message of Jesus. Um, Father, I pray for every single person who's gonna attend a, uh, a Christmas service this week, that even as they drive onto our campuses, they would just sense and feel the presence of God as they drive up, and that you would do a work in their lives as they're here. Father, we love you. I pray that you would impress your great love for people on everybody that we come in contact with. We pray that in the name of a crucified, risen Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.